Oswald Chambers authored a best-selling devotional. Reviewers of his devotional says, say he had a gift, a gift of looking at scripture, asking the tough questions and igniting a passion in people to want to know God better. That's a noble aspiration for all preachers and communicators of Scripture. And if I were devising a fresh course on preaching, to follow that curriculum here would be a very good place to start. The title of his devotional was My Utmost for His highest. And I have borrowed that title for my message today. That devotional was first published in 1924 when Oswald's wife collected together some sermons that he'd preached to soldiers and students from the First World War. And then later on in 1935, it was officially published and has become a bestseller ever since. If you're interested, go to Discovery House Publishers and look for the 2017 version, which is slightly simplified and modernized in terms of language. Or just search my utmost for his highest. And I think you will find a website that releases one of his thoughts for the day, every day. So alongside my one-minute thought for the day, do you know how difficult it is to put 45 minutes into one minute? Every time I complete one in under a minute is another miracle. And I've recently opened that up to everybody who follows me on IG. Uh, they said, don't, don't just do it for your special friends. Do it for everybody. Well, all right, I've done it now for everybody. So what I have to do is make sure that my special friends get something else. And we will do that as we build community online together. I want to turn you to Philippians chapter 3. And you will understand why... I've chosen this passage to go with this title and why this title links to this passage when I read it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 16. <clears throat> of course, it's the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count Everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming 
like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Heavenly Father, cause for fresh light to break forth from your word by your Holy Spirit today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you can see straight away that Paul is taken up with an underlying, overriding vision of the greatness and the glory of God and, and the sheer attractiveness of God. He sees Christ as the preeminent one, the highest person in the universe, along with the person of the Father and the person of the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, one divine nature expressed eternally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Trinity is an essential doctrine. There'd be no revelation, no salvation without it. And those who don't hold to it have no salvation. Because this corresponds to reality. That's how God has revealed himself. That's how God is, and that's who God is. But also, when you come right down to it, it shows you this understanding of Father, Son, and Spirit, shows you how you can come to the Father through faith in Christ by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is so filled with this vision of the greatness and the glory and the attractiveness of God that three things come out of this vision of God. I want to share with them, share them with you today. Three things. Aspiration, grace, and attainment. And these link together because all the aspiration you may have will amount to nothing without the grace of God. But if you know how to aspire and how to rely on God's grace, you stand a chance of advancing, going forward, and achieving great things for God. Let's begin with aspiration. We see this over and again, verse 8. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verse 10, that I may know him. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We notice here, Paul has a spiritual goal 
are one overriding, life-dominating spiritual goal. The one that overrides every other goal you may have for your life, whether it's your family life, your social life, your business life, your professional life, whatever. This overrides everything. And without this, nothing else will make sense and you will achieve nothing of eternal value without having that same spiritual goal that I may know him. But that goal comes from a desire, a spiritual desire. And again, when that spiritual desire is so strong that it becomes the strongest desire of your life, only then will you be able to conquer and override, marginalize and reject every other desire. Now, how many know that is, however long we go on in Christ, we still have that old stuff with its desires, its affections and lusts. And these things war against your soul. And the way to expel them from your life is to enjoy the power, the expulsive power of a superior affection. It's when the desire for Jesus is stronger than every other desire. There may be a thousand fleshly desires in you pulled by wild demonic horses away from Christ. But the love for Christ is better, more dominant, for greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Your spiritual desire. Now notice also it doesn't just end with desires and goals. There is effort here. I'm sure you picked that up. Paul says, I am with everything within me. I'm straining forward using language which many believers find uncomfortable because they think that the Christian life is for shirkers. No, the Christian life is for workers. Amen. Kensington Temple, you know that. London City Church, you know that. We are a church of workers. Okay, I'll try it again. We're a church of workers. Yeah, amen. Now, but this is spiritual effort, not natural human effort. That's when it becomes all sweat and no joy. When you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and, and you are sustained and activated by the Holy Spirit, your efforts take on a different dimension. There is a joy here. Of course, it's hard work, but you're going to have to work hard one way or another. Why not work hard for Jesus, anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Aspiration. Now, as I said, without grace, aspiration remains Mere aspiration. Paul speaks about why he was so willing to pay such a high price, and he did. Paul, as many believers today, still in the same regions of the world, lose everything. You have no idea how easy it is for us in our country. We think it's hard, but come with me to places where they will kill you if you don't deny Jesus. 
If they can't get to you, they'll get to your father, get to your family. They'll wait for you outside the meeting room and run you down with a car. They will pour boiling oil all over you. These are real stories. I'm not making it up. And I'm not going to look in his direction. There is one man here who can testify to all of those stories because we know where they came from. Now then, that's not to make you feel bad about yourself. But, but what it is, is to, is to rather look at why it's so important to put all your investment in Christ because he's worth it. If you knew that every bank in the world was going down, 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 but one bank was going to go up, 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 where would you invest your money? As in the natural, so in the spiritual. The kingdom of God is the only kingdom that is worth extending. And the kingdom of God one day is going to swallow up every other kingdom and all the kingdoms of this earth shall have become the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of God, our heavenly Father. He is worth it all, simply knowing him. Paul says, I'm prepared to pay a price and I've paid everything. Now he actually ended up paying the ultimate price, but he says, I want to do this because of grace. How does that work? Verse 9, he says, in order to gain Christ and be found in him. So is this just touchy-feely, lovey, fellowshipy? No. He says, I want to be found in Christ because only in Christ is the righteousness I need to qualify me for heaven. The righteousness, not of my own, but that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. What's another word for this? Grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith for good works. And so it's all about God's grace. Everything that Paul did after he met Christ was as a result of the grace of God at work. He said, I worked harder than any one of you. But he said, not me, the grace of God working through me. I am what I am by the grace of God. I can do what I can do by the grace of God. I will be what I will be by the grace of God. And you too also, we have taught you that you are justified by faith and faith alone. Very few modern evangelical statements on this topic are true to the word of God. They all bring works in back somehow through the back door. But when you know what it means to be declared righteous by faith, not your works, not your obedience, not your good deeds, not your faithfulness, you are saved by the faithfulness of God, not how you measure up as a believer. Suddenly, it's the gift of God that releases you and the grace of God that empowers you as you walk in peace with God, free from condemnation forever, free to love God for himself, not having to try and qualify for an eternal life, not having to work to gain God's acceptance, but freely and joyfully giving your life to him. Now, in the outworking of grace, there is something to remember. What must you remember? You must 
remember to forget. Many times we forget to remember, but the spiritual order is remember to forget. What do you forget? You forget that which is behind. You forget the past. You draw a line under it. I'm drawing a line. It's so vivid to me that I'm surprised you can't see it here on the platform. I've drawn a line. And from today, as I step across that line, I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward. It's easy to think, well, the bad stuff we can let go of. Actually, it's the bad stuff that clings very closely. I tell you, I just know because it's a biblical principle, but I know deeper than that, there are people here today, you just need to let it go. Let all that stuff go. Let that bitterness go. Let that resentment go. Let that failure go. Let it all go because today is a new day. A day of new beginnings. But it's not just the bad, but also we should let go of the stuff that we thought we had had going for us. Um, And Paul is a great example. He thought he had qualified. He said, look, you Gentiles, look at me. I'm a Hebrew. Don't just look at me. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I don't know if they talk like that, but that's how it's coming out. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness, legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. I kept all the laws. And yet I discovered in me a miserable, self-centered covetousness and lust for attention and a craving which broke God's heart and made me an idolater. And so all the things that he thought he had going for him actually were disadvantaged. They were hindrances. He let it all go. And he said, I treat all of that that I used to think was gain. I treat it as loss. I treat it as rubbish. Uh, and, 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 and I let it go. I let it go. Let it go. You and I and Amanda are going on a journey. We'll be in parallel. But we're going on a journey today that requires us to step over the line and put the past behind. You can't go forward looking backwards. You can't. There is a rear view mirror for safety reasons and certain things is good to keep in that rear view mirror, but you've got to fix your eyes on the road ahead. And you're going to need the grace of God for that. Because only the grace of God can set you free from spiritual failure and spiritual pride when you don't think you have failed. In an era of change, the only way is forward. Position yourself in a father-facing, forward-looking, upward-trending direction. Let go of the past, all of it. This is a new day for us all. Amen and amen. Amen. So that's grace. Now, then you're free for some attainment. 
Verses 12 to 16, let me read them again. Not that I have already attained all this, or I'm really perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What he's saying here is I don't want to die until I have laid hold of everything that God had in his mind when he laid hold of me. I don't know how you feel, but the age of 68, 30 years in this ministry, I have only just begun. My best work lies ahead. And Kensington Temple's best days lie ahead. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own. I haven't arrived, but one thing I do, I forget that what lies behind, I strain forward, lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My utmost for his highest. But then he adds this. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So if you don't think your best days are ahead, if you don't think you've got so much more to achieve and attain, then you're wrong, <laughs> and God will show it to you. But then he gives us this great, great advice. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Think about it. How can you make progress if you don't maintain what you attain? It's a sad fact of life. Everything requires maintenance. The chair you're sitting on requires maintenance. I'm not sure if it has been maintained. No, I'm sure it has. Your motor vehicle, your decor, everything requires maintenance. How much more should we maintain our spiritual life? Ah, uh, you know, there is this dreadful board game. I'm I better suffer what I'm about to say because the inventors of this board game might sue me. Well, so shall I say, in my opinion, Snakes and Ladders is the most frustrating board game ever invented. Now, maybe it's such an old board game that you have no idea what I'm talking about. Let me describe it to you. You have a counter up to, up to 100 and then placed strategically are ladders and you climb up a ladder at the roll of a die or roll of a dice. I'm still very particular about English. One die, two dice. Die, die, dice. <laughs> and invariably, there are plenty of opportunities early on in the game. You roll and score a certain number, and hey, presto, you go up the ladder, a couple of levels and you feel happy, look how high I am. And then you roll the dice again and you hit a snake and the snake takes you back worse than you were before. Snakes and ladders. You can't maintain what you attain on that board because there's always something to slip you up, to bring you down. Now, thank God in the spirit, 
There may be ladders and there certainly are snakes. But in the spirit, you are placed by the providence, purpose of God, according to godly choice. And you can go from ladder to ladder to ladder and you can advance and you can attain by the spirit of God. Amen and amen. For us, practically, this is a bit like learning to lock the ratchet systems of the spirit. Do you know what I mean? I was recently at the garage where they do this kind of thing, but you are probably clever enough you could do it for yourself along the side of the road. You get out of the boot a car jack. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Now then, there is a ratchet. And when you press the lever or turn it or whatever, probably your mobile phone does it these days, how would I know? And it will rise. But it doesn't rise to fall again. It rises and locks into place. Again, arises and locks into place. Then when it's right, you can let the whole thing down. There is a ratchet system in the spirit that we have to maintain. So in other words, and some people call it redigging the wells. Some people call it just maintaining what you attain and, and so on. And so Paul says, there's a lot to forget, but you're not going to advance until you learn how to lock into your spiritual life, the triumphs and the knowledge and the revelation and the things that God has shown you. And I want to tell you, if you join this church anytime from now onwards, you don't just have three decades of ratcheting up and new levels by the Holy Spirit. You have decade after decade going right back to the mid 1800s of the triumphs and victories that God has achieved and accomplished for us in this house that rest in the spiritual atmosphere within the reach of anybody who's got the grip of faith to say, I want to learn how to be an intercessor. I want to learn how to be a cell leader. I want to learn how to pray in such a way that the devil trembles. I want to know what it is to lay hands on the sick and cause them to recover. I want to know what it is to triumph, not just in the public place, but in the Secret place. I want to know what it is to go out and make a difference in my workplace. You don't have to relearn this stuff. Grab it, take it, maintain it, and move on from here. So when I look back on the last 30 years of life and ministry, centered on the Kensington Temple London City Church community, I appreciate the presence today of many of our pastors and leaders from the network churches because you've had to find somebody else to preach in order for you to be here in person. I, I appreciate your, your presence. You could have so easily got it on catch-up TV. So, um, so when people go to the supermarket, they say, have a bottle of ketchup and a bottle of ketchup, please. It becomes second nature now with all these wonderful means at our disposal. But I look back on 30 years of life and ministry and I remember the battles. Oh yes, I do. I still have the scars. I remember the victories and the failures. I remember the disasters as well as the triumphs. But most of all, I remember the 
revelation. The things that we discovered and learned together. The lessons of pure grace and simple faith, our eternal security in Christ. The agony and triumph of persistent prayer and effective intercession. I remember the battles surrounding the blessing of the church in terms of unity and teamwork. I remember the battles over releasing the body of Christ to be strong, expressed through the cell vision, lay leadership and ministry as opposed to an elite class of so-called ordained clergy who are the only ones allowed in the pulpit. No, we've made ministers of you all with or without reverend in front of your name. Nothing wrong with those who are ordained. I'm talking about lay leadership and lay ministry. I remember the birthing in our hearts of the London and the World for Christ vision and much more. Don't let these things go. Maintain what you have attained and then you can go on to attain a whole lot more. In the days and weeks that lie ahead, God will move you to embrace the change, the innovation, the new things that God is going to do in this house. But most important of all, the Holy Spirit wants to move on you that you would rise up to attain to your high calling. And in so doing, do your utmost for his highest.